Hello. What is up, y'all? So glad to be here. So, 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 so glad to be here. Well, well, welcome, everyone. Welcome to College Gathering. So glad that you guys have chosen to be with us tonight. Okay, so these lights are still bright, uh, so bright. Tonight, we are going to be wrapping up our relationship series titled It's Complicated, okay? And so tonight, we're going to be talking about marriage. So our teachers uh, for this series have been Brandon, uh, Keenan, Dusty, and why on earth I am the one who gets to teach about marriage out of that lineup is beyond me. Apparently, Emily said I asked for it. I don't remember that, but, but here we are. So I'm glad to be here with you guys. I am married, and I am the one who has been most recently in your guys' shoes, uh, your life stage. I graduated college uh, five years ago, almost, something like that. And so because of those things, I'm really excited to be with you guys tonight, open up God's word, share with you what I believe he has for us through his word. And so before I do that, I know we just prayed, but I want to pray again. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word, God. Would you be glorified tonight? Would um, a topic is such as marriage that might not seem relevant or pressing uh, be encouraging tonight to our students and that you would, you would challenge and you would convict and you would ultimately point people back to your son, Jesus, people who may know him, they may feel far from him, and people who do not know him in this room, that you would, you would save and that you would draw uh, people to you. So yeah, I got to pray you do that, and I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, I'm married uh, to my wife, Cassidy. She's actually in the back. We're going to fight about that later. She hates the attention. It's all right. Uh, we have two beautiful children. Yeah, here we go. This is my family. So that's me, obviously, uh, Cassidy, and then that little boy on our left is Gray. He's cute. He runs around here all the time. And then Lydia, who already gets whatever she wants from me, and she doesn't even have words, so that's fun. But yeah, so this is my family. And so uh, statistically, for our demographic of people, most of you will probably get married at some point. That's the reality. Statistically, especially in our sub-Christian demographic, most of you will probably get married one day. So that's why we're going to talk about it. But Keenan made this point last week, and I want to reiterate it, that some of you may never be married. Some of you may never be married, and that is okay. Some of you have the gift of marriage, and that's great. Some of you have the gift of singleness, which is equally as great. We're going to talk more about that later. But because statistically, it is in most of your futures probably that you're going to get married. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Okay, so with that being said... Let's read our passage of scripture. It's gonna be up on the screen. It comes from Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. And it says this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies." 
He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, so before jumping any further into our passage, I want to share a little bit with you about my relationship and my marriage to my wife and Bessie Cassidy. So a little bit about our relationship. We met kind of sophomore, junior year. I was a junior, she was a sophomore, but came in with a bunch of hours, so she was technically a junior. That's not important at all. We did not like each other at first. Basically, it's because I was a giant turd. She'd tell you that. That's kind of the end of the story. We didn't like each other. I thought I didn't like her, but I was actually just being a turd. But over the course of time, we would run into each other studying at places like Yellow House, Rest in Peace, Market Street, Goldstripe, JMB, etc. And we began to strike up a little bit of a friendship. And both of us realized that the other person didn't suck all that much. Really, she realized that I didn't suck all that much. And so we began dating one night. Um, in 2016, which feels like, that was, feels like a long time ago. It's a long time ago. We began dating one night because I saw her car at JMB. One evening, I knew she studied there. I lived in Tech Terrace, so I was driving home. Saw her car and was like, all right, I'm shooting my shot. We're doing this. And so I walked in, sat down, saw her, you know, studying, basically made her talk to me. And after chit-chatting for a few minutes, I asked her if she wanted to go to dinner with me. And she said, I'm not hungry but I'll go with you. Yo, pause. Yeah, yeah, right. I was like, I was like, I'm in. Bagged. She likes me. Let's go. I knew it. Long story short, we drove around for like the next four hours. And at the end of it, she was like, what are we doing here? And I was like, I like you. And she's like, I like you too. And I was like, are we dating? She's like, yeah, we're dating. So that was that. (laughs) There was no talking. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's a great, that's a gift. So long story short, we, got, we, we started dating, we got engaged about a year later during the spring semester of our senior year, and ultimately ended up getting married in September of 2018, a few months after graduation. So about a year later, we found out that we were pregnant with our little boy. Yep, not in the plans at all, but we praise God for the journey that we are on. Gray was born, loving to death, could not imagine life without him. Not even a year after that, we found out we were pregnant again. <laughs> With Lydia, who's the best? I'm, you know, if I had to pick one, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I shouldn't say that. I'm kidding. So now here we are as a family of a two-and-a-half-year-old, a one-and-a-half-year-old, a 26-year-old, Cassie, a 27-year-old, me, with almost five years of marriage under our belts. Why do I share all that? Well, because I love my family a lot, and I have the microphone. But mostly, I share these things because through all of that, and Cassidy would attest to this, we've had our share of really, really high highs and really, really low lows. These past five years of marriage have been sweeter than I could have ever imagined, yet more difficult than I was ever prepared for. The best and hardest five years of my life, for sure. Best and hardest, for sure. So I share these things with you as someone who has just recently been in your shoes. Like, like really, really, you know, we relate in a lot of ways. And I'm just a little bit further down the road than you guys, and I want to share with you what I have learned. So our series is titled, It's Complicated. It's Complicated. The reason why marriage oftentimes gets complicated is not because marriage as an institution, as an idea, is complex. It's one man, 
one woman joining their lives together in commitment, love, and trust. But marriage, I believe, gets really complicated because of our misplaced expectations around what the purpose of marriage is actually supposed to be and what marriage is supposed to do for us. Marriage is complicated because of our misplaced expectations. And that is what we're going to talk about tonight. So just think for a moment. Most of you guys are probably single. I don't think anyone in here is married. If you are, shout out, holla. But just think for a second. What expectations do you have as a single person? Again, Keenan said this last week, dating still means you're single. If you're married, you're married, you're married. If you're not married, you're single. So all of you are probably single, but think about it. Think about the expectation that you have around the person that you might marry one day, what this person will be like, what roles you will have around the house, what time you'll go to bed, what time you'll wake up, spiritual rhythms, kids, schooling, discipline, families, health habits, dishes, cooking, routines, happiness, service, love, sex, intimacy, all these different things. The list goes on and on and on. And you may not be, may be able to verbalize in this moment what your expectation is from each of these things, but I promise you, you have an expectation around this thing, and so will your future spouse. And oftentimes, these expectations or misplaced or unrealistic expectations are why marriage is so hard, why it's so difficult. And so in order to make sense of marriage as an institution, it's like as an idea, we need to understand what God intended it to be since the beginning of creation. Okay, so um, there will be two parts to our time today. Really simple, really straightforward for those of you guys taking notes. Two parts, I think they're gonna be up on the screen. Part one, what marriage is not. Part two, what marriage is. So in my five years of marriage, most of what I have learned about marriage stems from what I have learned that marriage is not. That either made sense or it didn't. We're going to move on, okay? I'll say it again. Most of what I have learned about marriage stems from what I have learned that marriage is not. And so because of that, this sermon is going to be really heavily weighted on talking about what marriage is not. I feel like that's what I needed to know as a college kid, and so that's what we're going to be doing, okay? So let us jump in. So part one, point one, what marriage is not. Marriage, there we go or your potential future spouse will not save or fix you. Growing up, I thought that having a significant other would solve all of my problems. Anybody else? No? Okay. Okay, a few of you. Thank you. I just I asked them to put my head down out of shame. But I remember being in middle school and high school, jumping from unhealthy relationship to unhealthy relationship, seeking a level of intimacy from these people in hopes that it would fix this feeling of brokenness, of emptiness, of loneliness that I had inside. As someone who did not grow up in the church and basically had no rules or boundaries, this led me to tons of mistakes that I hope my kids never ever have to make. I was searching for a relationship to fix me, and maybe that is you. I have a feeling that that is some of you tonight. And I think all of us, all of us, Lord willing, can look back at middle school and high school and agree that any relationship from that period of of our lives could never fix anything. I mean, it's a train wreck, all of it. Just leave it all behind when you're thinking about meeting someone. But what about, what about a gospel-centered, Christ-exalting marriage? I mean, I know it won't like fix, fix me, you know, but like, I, you know, because Jesus is supposed to do that, but like surely it'll help. Surely if I'm in a Christ-exalting, God-centered relationship with another person, surely it'd help these things a little bit. So let me say as clearly as possible, as someone who is married to my absolute best friend and life partner, no, it won't. Even a godly marriage full of love, laughter, commitment, yes, hard things, trust, intimacy, 
fun, children, friends, even this thing will not fix you at a core level. It's not going to solve all of your problems. As good of a gift as marriage is, and it is a gift, we're going to talk about it later, it will not fix you and it will not solve all of the problems of your life. But if there was any portion of time that I've been married that I did think marriage would solve all my problems, it lasted about seven days and it consisted of our wedding and honeymoon. (laughs) Cassie and I, we went to the Caribbean. It was so much fun. We did not have a care in the world. We had the time of our lives. And my dumb self thought, this is what marriage is like. Like, we're at the beach, we don't have a job, we're literally just walking around doing nothing all day. It's like, this is incredible, everyone should be married, this is, this is awesome. Didn't fight at all, I don't remember fighting, honestly, maybe she sees it differently, you could ask her, but I don't remember any problems. Long story short, at the end of our honeymoon, we were flying back to the States, and we were very tired, we were very sunburned, we were pretty grumpy, uh, all of that. We landed in Dallas after about six to seven hours of travel, okay? And all I wanted to do was eat Whataburger. Cassie, I, t- I shared the story, and she's like, I don't remember this. I remember it very clearly, okay? <laughs> we landed in Dallas, and all I wanted to do was eat Whataburger. All I wanted in life in that moment, I thought I was going to fix all my problems, was a patty melt. I thought to myself, surely my wife feels the same way. Surely. We've married for one week. She gets me. She knows what I want. Let's go to Whataburger. Totally wrong. Totally wrong. We get, we get into, at that time, the biggest fight that we have ever had as a couple over where we wanted to go eat at dinner that night. It was like, it was like as soon as we landed, the flight attendant was like, here's some boxing gloves. Good luck. And, and I mean, that's what happened. It was like, boom, you know, the, car, the roof of the car blew off over where we wanted to eat. I was insistent on Whataburger. Cassidy was insistent on Chipotle. It's a good option. Good option. Granted, both good options. But we had just spent a week in the jungle eating grassy jungle food, and I did not at all want anything that resembled a salad. I was like, let's, I just want a Whataburger. We fought about it for a while, and so we went to Chipotle. So, <laughs> yep, fellas, first L of many, let me tell you that much. So naturally, so dinner, dinner was pretty quiet. I remember thinking to myself, I actually remember this, how could this be? Like, we did everything right. We're here, we just had the most fun weeks of our life, and now we're sitting at a Chipotle in Arlington, Texas, just like mad at each other. I'm like, what just happened? I had an expectation that marriage would fix me, that it would solve all my problems, that it was this beautiful picture to the easy life, and it was broken down right in front of my eyes at Chipotle in Arlington very, very, very quickly. Marriage is never meant to fix us. Another person is never meant to fix you. They're not gonna fix all your problems. And beyond this, You were never meant to be someone's savior. You are not meant to fix anybody, mostly because you cannot even fix yourself. We cannot fix ourselves. How can we think we could be someone else's savior? You can never be all that someone needs you to be, and someone can never be all that you need them to be. Marriage is another sinful person. Marriage to another sinful person will never fix you, okay? Part one, point two, we're having fun. Part one, point two, marriage or your potential future spouse is not the path to an easier life. The second way we misplace our expectations around marriage is that we think marriage, or this, you know, awesome person that we're gonna marry, is the path to an easier life, that everything is just gonna be better when we get married. Hear me, again, marriage is a good gift, and we're gonna unpack this later. I love being married. I love Cassidy more than anything. It's not a bad thing to want to be married. It's actually a good, marriage is a gift. Genesis 2 says this, and this should be up on the screen. Then the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. 
So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up in its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So we see here that God, not Adam, says that it is not good that man should be alone. So out of Adam, God created Eve. What does Adam do in this text when he wakes up and sees his bride? He sings. He literally says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Like that's him singing a song of praise to God. Why? Because she is a gift not only to himself, but to all of creation. In the words of Beyonce, who runs the world? That's cheesy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry, Grant. What we see in this passage is that the institution of marriage, okay, is good. Marriage is good, but we know that Genesis 3 and the introduction of sin is coming, and that makes this good gift from God still good, but really, really difficult, really, really hard. So jumping back into Ephesians 5, we're going to see that God gives men and women different commands, okay? So first up, talking to the wives, your future wives. It's going to be on the screen. Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So ladies, we see some themes coming from this passage. We see here that God, through scripture, is asking you, in the context of marriage, very important part of that, in the context of marriage, he is asking for you to love, submit, respect, and to be committed to your husband or future hubby. So this might cause some questions. Hang on for a second. Fellas, you're up next. Next passage in Ephesians says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So, fellas... Dudes, future aspiring husbands, what God is asking you in the context of marriage, not in the context of a dating relationship, the context of marriage can be summed up in love, self-sacrifice, care, and commitment towards a wife. So we see some overlap here between the two, between the call for men and the call for women. These qualities, according to scripture, is God's design for how men and women, husbands and wives, should relate, love, serve one another in the context of marriage. Again, 
not in the context of a dating relationship, in the context of marriage. Now, disclaimer, many of you, myself included, have not seen anything close to this in the marriage of our parents. We love them, but just wasn't close to this. Some of you come from abusive parents. Many of you come from families of divorce, adultery, sin. The list goes on and on and on and on. But just because our, our broken families have not modeled these things does not mean that God's design for marriage has failed. Through Christ, all of these things are possible. So quick word to the gals in the room, the ladies, the future aspiring wives. This passage talks about the concept of submission. Super fun. You guys probably noticed it as we read it. This is a pretty touchy subject, um, especially for those of you who have seen this passage used out of context to provide biblical support for an abusive father or an abusive husband that is demanding submission around the house. This type of behavior is real, sadly, but let me be the first to tell you that that is sin and that that is not what is intended in this passage. This concept of scripture, of submission, male headship, wives submit, husbands lead, is called complementarianism. Complementarianism states that men and women are different. Shocker. We're distinct and we're unique in our humanity as being image bearers of God. Okay? This is why you have different commands given to men and different commands given to women in the context of marriage. Why? Because we are fundamentally different. We have different roles because we're different. There is no hierarchy, though. There is no hierarchy of one being worth more than the other. Just different. Different roles, different responsibilities, yet same in worth, value, and dignity. Okay? Mary Cassie, and this is going to be up on the screen, uh, from the Gospel Coalition has a fire quote about complementarianism that says this. Essentially, a complementarian person, a complementarian is a person who believes that God created male and female to reflect complementary truths about Jesus. That's the bottom line meaning of the word. Complementarians believe that males, men, were designed to shine the spotlight on Christ's relationship to the church and the Lord God's relationship to Christ in a way that females cannot. And that females were designed to shine the spotlight on the church's relationship to Christ and Christ's relationship to the Lord in a way that males cannot. Who we are as male and female is ultimately not about us. Not a popular opinion this time of, of the world. It is about testifying to the story of Jesus. Let me read that again. Who we are as male and female is ultimately not about us. It is about testifying to the story of Jesus. We do not get to dictate what manhood and womanhood are all about. Our creator does. That's the basis of complementarianism. Ladies, if you hear someone tell you, that complementarity means that you have to get married, have dozens of babies, be a stay-at-home housewife, clean toilets, completely forego a career, chunk your brain, tolerate abuse, watch Leave It to Beaver reruns, bury your gifts, deny your personality, and bobblehead yes to everything men say, do not believe them. It's not complementarianism. So we could spend a lot of time on this, but we're not going to. But in short, husbands and wives have complementary roles and commands in the context of Scripture based on who God has made us to be. And if you want to talk more about this, Libby's in the back. <laughs> There's your shout out. So fellas, fellas here, aspiring hubby, aspiring husband. Christ is our example. Christ is my example. Christ is our goal. Christ is your goal. 
We are not meant to be perfect, but we are meant to strive to be as Christ-like as possible in our pursuit of and service to a spouse and a family. If the call of the wife is to love, to serve, and to submit to their husbands, as we, the church, submits to Christ, then husbands, or in our case, future husbands, aspiring husbands, your call is to be someone worth following. Your call is to be someone worth submitting to. Dudes, if you get married and have 0% of your growth and holiness and godliness together, if you have zero conviction of sin, if you're selfish, if you're lazy, if you do not prioritize walking with Jesus, if you're living life for you, demanding sex from your spouse, what makes you worth submitting to? What makes you worth following? I think we know the answer. Fellas, your future spouse will not expect you to be perfect. I promise you. I promise you. But you, young man, you need to take your growth in godliness. You need to take your character seriously. Be someone of godly character that is worth following, that is worth submitting to. These commandments for husbands and wives might not sound like a difficult thing to do in marriage one day, but I promise you it does get hard. I promise you. A life of submission, of love, of self-sacrifice, of intimacy, of servant leadership, of forgiveness, that is a tall, tall order. It's a good order, but it is hard. Students, the main purpose of marriage is that God would be glorified and we would get to enjoy lifelong companionship And through that companionship, God would sanctify his people into a greater likeness to Christ. So sanctification, super nerdy theological term that describes how God transforms his people, person, individually and corporately, from one degree of glory to another. Sanctification is the process that God uses to make us more like Jesus. And if you've been walking with God for any length of time, then you know sanctification is hard. It involves spiritual conviction from God when we're living not in accordance to the way of Jesus. It involves confession of sin, acknowledgement of sin, repentance, walking away from the things of the world, changing our thoughts and how we perceive everything in life. In short, sanctification is the process that we, as followers of Jesus, participate in with God that rids us of sin, makes us more like Jesus. And this process is good, but it's really hard. Why? Because we love our sins. We love doing life our own way. And If God has marriage for your life, just give you a little warning, your spouse will be the primary means of you coming to acknowledge your sin and sanctifying you. Let me say that again. Your future spouse will be God's primary means of sanctifying you, of changing you, making you look more like Jesus. Cassie's like, amen. That's right. Better preach. So so imagine an operating table. Imagine an operating table. You got a doctor. You've got some surgical equipment, you've got the patient, and you've got some sort of disease. Okay, so you're the patient, I'm the patient, everyone's the patient. God is the doctor, surprise. Your sin is the disease, okay, and your spouse or future spouse is the surgical tools. When you get married, yes, you are signing up for a life of deep companionship, Lord willing, but you are also signing up for God to use your spouse to carve you up, to take out that sin, to reveal that sin, to call you away from darkness and into light and fellowship with Jesus. And that is not fun. It's not fun. It's not the path to an easier life. When you sin and your spouse is the first one to know about it, that's not fun. Or when you've blown it and you have to ask for forgiveness from both your spouse and your kids, that's not fun. 
These things are not the mark of an easy life. I will say this over and over again. Y'all, marriage is a good gift, but it is not easy. Students, marriage is not the path to an easier life. It's a good life, but it's not an easier life. Okay, so to recap really quick, we've talked about a couple of things that marriage is not and won't do for you. Marriage will not fix all of your problems, and it is not the path to an easier life. Okay, so it's been kind of a bummer, sorry. Um, now we're gonna talk about what marriage is. We're gonna talk about what marriage is, okay? So marriage is a lot of things, but for the sake of our time, we're gonna hit two pretty straightforward points that I've alluded to throughout this time that I believe encompass most of what marriage is. I mean, I only have like a few minutes left, so we're gonna do our best. So part two, point one, what marriage is, marriage is a gift. It is a gift, y'all. Through marriage, a godly, Christ-centered marriage between a man and a woman is a gift given to us by God. Adam and Eve did not come up with the concept of marriage so that they could have sex with each other. It's not how it happened. God created the idea of marriage to image and to reflect his relationship with his people. Marriage is God's gift to us for his ultimate glory and for our joy, okay? So the commitment shown in a godly marriage, okay, between a man and a woman shows and shines the spotlight on the depth of the love that God has for us, on the depth of the love that God has for us, okay? Throughout marriage, your love for one another, your future spouse, should deepen. It should grow deeper and deeper and deeper. The more you learn about, live with, share experiences with, both good and bad, your love for your spouse or future spouse should grow. It should deepen. And this is a picture of the gospel. The more that we learn about God, the more that we walk with him, our marriage for him and our love for God should deepen. It should deepen. Marriage is an expression of the depth of the love that is available for us in Christ. So whenever I got married, I was, I mean, I still am, I was like head over heels in love with Cassie. Like I was like, girl, whatever you want, I'm, I'm there. I love you. Whatever. Let's get married like ASAP. We basically did. Um, I remember on our wedding day, standing at the altar in Decatur, swampy Decatur, Texas. I mean, it was like it had thunderstormed the whole morning. I remember eating lunch before going to the wedding. I was like, this is going to have to be moved inside, and there's no inside option, so we're going to have to figure this out. But So it was really swampy. That's also not important. But we were standing under a massive oak tree, and I remember thinking to myself, there is no way that I could love her any more than I do right now in this moment. It's not possible. I mean, I didn't even listen to Richard, the officiant. I was just like, I just, can you just tell me what to do and so I can kiss her and then we can get out of here. But I was wrong. I was wrong, y'all. My love for Cassidy has only grown over the years. I look back at our wedding day and realize that I loved her the least amount on that day. The least amount on that day in light of our growing and deepening love for each other. Two kids, hard family struggles, health issues, all of these things have grown our love for each other. I hope she'd say the same thing. She's like, bro, I'm sick of you. I mentioned this at the beginning of our time. Okay, this is really important. I mentioned this at the beginning of our, beginning of our time. Marriage is a good gift, but it's not for everyone. It's not for, it's not for someone who's better spiritually. It's not for someone who's further along. It's not, it's not for everyone. It's a gift that you have or it is a gift that you do not have. And you have a gift of singleness. So some of you, by God's grace, kindness, provision, care, love, will live a life of singleness. And that is not a curse. That is not a curse. It is not because of sin or because you aren't X, Y, or Z. Singleness is not a curse. It's not God withholding something good from you. Some of you don't ever want to be married, and that's cool. Some of you, some of you will have a desire to be married, and God 
will simply, just simply does not have that in the plans for your life. But, but if marriage is a picture of the depth of the love that God has for us, then singleness is a picture of the breadth of the love that God has for us. If marriage is a picture of the depth of the love that God has for his people, then singleness is a gift of the breadth of the love that God has for us. Paul even says it is a blessing to stay single due to your ability to do more for Jesus. Paul says that. So Dusty mentions this all the time. Um, Not this story example, not the story exactly, but other examples like it. But some of mine and Cassidy's best friends, like absolute best friends, not just saying this to make a point in a sermon, absolute best friends are single guys and gals are single guys and gals. Cassidy and I's mutual best friend, it was Cassidy's best friend first, I stole her, we're, now we're all just, a, you know, three musketeers, it's awesome, is a single girl who lives in Dallas, and her name is Lauren. The way that Lauren, as a single gal, has blessed my family and the lives of so many other people with her ability to go wide, to do things that we married folk cannot do, care for others, I mean, it is remarkable. She is such a gift to our family, even though she lives in Dallas, and she's a gift to so many other people. Y'all, our house, I mean, this might shock you, and it's, it is sad to think about, but our house shuts down at about 7.30 every night. I mean, it's like we're just trying to get the kids to bed, and we're trying to spend 30 minutes just, you know, sitting there recovering from fighting our, you know, raccoons called kids that we're trying to get into sleep sacks and put down for bed. Bobcats even would be a better analogy for the kids. Um, but at 7.30, after that, we're done. Like, we're like, hey, tapped out, I have nothing more. And so we're out. As married folk, we're out in this season of our life after 7.30 p.m., which is like the night is young for most of y'all at that point. But is that true of Lauren? Is that true of Lauren? No, it is not. While we're putting, while we're praying to God <laughs> that our kids go to sleep and stop screaming, while we're packing lunches, while we're getting ready for the next day, Lauren has the ability to use that time that us married folks cannot use. She has the ability to serve, to go bless people, to go enjoy relationships with friends, to further the kingdom, to do ministry, to rest, to Sabbath, to do all these different things that we just do not have. So if you live a lifetime of singleness, that is not a curse. You have the opportunity to model the breadth of the love of God to to more people than any of your married friends ever could, ever. So quick word of warning on that to singles. If you are single, either in this life stage or the next, and consider yourself a follower of Jesus, do not compromise. Do not settle. Do not marry just anyone. And do not marry someone who does not love and follow Jesus because they're giving you the attention that you want in the moment. Don't do it. Christian guy, or gal, the loneliness that you feel now or you might feel in the future because of your singleness will pale in comparison to the loneliness that you will feel being married to someone who does not love and follow Jesus. Though it might be fun, it might be nice in the moment, you are fundamentally different at a core. Do not do it. Do not settle. Do not settle. Okay, part two, uh, point two. I'm not gonna say much on this because we talked about it earlier, but... Marriage is a tool to make you holy. What marriage is, marriage is a tool to make you holy. Already talked about the little surgeon illustration. So we're not gonna say much. But in as much as marriage is a gift, it is a tool that God uses to change you. And this change is painful and it is difficult and it is beautiful and it is one of the main points and purposes of marriage. From 2018, when we got married to 2023, 
God has changed me immensely. I mean, there's two people in the back of the room that have known me that long. Praise God, they're still around. And most of that change has come through the corrective love and rebuke and accountability of my wife. Andy Minio, is he still cool? No, I, don't, I, feel like he, I feel like he's not, but maybe he is. But he has a bar in a song that I love, and it's about his relationship with his wife, and it says this. If you want to live a comfortable life, never love anybody, be selfish, and never sacrifice. If you want to live a comfortable life, never love anybody, be selfish, and never sacrifice. That, in essence, is what it means to love others and to be married, okay? So to recap, we're going to recap, and we're going we're gonna to land this plane. We're going to wrap up here in a second. Marriage is, it should be on the screen, marriage is a good gift from God, though not for everyone. Marriage is a tool to make you holy. Marriage is not the solution to fix your life. Marriage is not the solution to fix all of your problems, and it's not the pathway to an easier life. Okay, so as I wrap up, as we conclude, I want to tell you that I wrote this sermon with College Cody in mind. I remembered, I thought about what did I need to hear as an idiot, you know, sophomore. Some of you guys aren't idiots, though. I was an idiot. And even though I was walking with Jesus, even though I was trying to honor God in my pursuit of marriage, I had still made marriage and getting married and finding the one so much more of a thing than I should have been. I made it so much bigger than it should have ever been. I had fallen into the trap of idolizing marriage. I had. Maybe that's you in here. It's probably some of y'all. And that's okay because it sure as heck was me and there's grace from God for it. And if that is you, what would it look like for you tonight to let go of your idolization of a future marriage, of idolizing relationships? What would it look like to trust God with these things? Students, I promise you, I promise you that Jesus is what you're looking for. Jesus is what you're looking for. Marriage won't save you, but Jesus will save you. Marriage isn't the path to an easier or better life. Jesus is the path to the better life. It's not an easier life, but it's the good life. The intimacy that we crave, the security, the good things that we desire, the commitment, the love, the covenant, Jesus has that for each of us. He has that for each of us. Yes, marriage is a picture of these things, but it is a dimly lit picture pointing to our need to be reconciled with God in covenant relationship with him through Jesus. When a man and a woman make a covenant with each other, they're saying, I see your faults, I love you, and I want you, and I'm not going anywhere. The gospel is the same, yet so much more beautiful, yet so much more complete, yet so much more full. God sees all of you. He sees all of me. He sees all of you, and he wants you. Students, like he wants you, like the God of the universe wants you to know him and wants to know you. He doesn't want to know some better version of you, some more cleaned up, prettier, smarter, whatever it is. The list goes on and on. He wants you right now, where you are, what you're dealing with today. What we are looking for, what we are all looking for is found in walking with Jesus in intimacy with him. Because of our sin, students, because of our sin, all of our relationships have become complicated. That's the reality. Because of sin, we are born separated from God. But God, Ephesians 2 says this, but God being rich in mercy sent Christ to live the life that we should have lived. It's not just convenient that Christ died for us. We should have lived this life. Christ lived it for us. Christ died the death that we deserve. This is not a symbolic death. Christ really died. 
really died, really hung on a cross, really had nails driven through his hand for you, for me. He died the death that we deserved because of our sin on our behalf. And he resurrected bodily, not metaphorically, bodily resurrected from the grave three days later, securing the salvation of all who would repent and believe in him. Securing the salvation of all who would repent and believe in him. Faith in the finished work of Christ on your behalf gives you access to the Father. And in this relationship with God through Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of you. Crazy. He comes to live inside of you. We can get at any time the love, the commitment, the intimacy, the security that each of us desires and is even made for. God in Jesus is what we are looking for. And if you have yet to place your faith in Christ tonight, if you feel like there's something you need to do or don't do or whatever it is, if you have yet to place your faith in Christ and push all of the chips of your life to the center of this table, what is stopping you? Like God God is not concerned with all the things you think you need to do to clean yourself up to come to him. He's not. Life, broken relationships, and the pursuit of anything but the glory of God in your life will leave you empty. It will leave you empty-handed. This is going to be up on the screen. Romans 10, 9 through 11 says this. Because, students, because right now, someone who's not following Jesus, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. You will be saved. For with the heart One believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says that everyone, everyone, there's no asterisk there, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And some of you are carrying shame tonight that Jesus wants to take from you. He wants to take it from you. It doesn't matter where that shame comes from. Jesus wants it. He will take it because he wants you and because he loves you. He'll take your shame and he'll give you love, he'll give you grace, he'll give you acceptance, he'll give you hope, he'll give you security, he'll give you peace. God did everything that you needed to do. He made a way where there was no way. Because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, you have no response to make but to believe. Respond in faith, enter into the eternal, never-ending love of Father. This love is what you're looking for. I promise you this is what you're looking for. No earthly marriage will satisfy the deepest desires of your soul. As someone who's happily married, y'all, as someone who's happily married, got kids, love my life, Jesus is what you're looking for. Jesus is what I'm looking for. Godly, single folks who will live a life of this, Jesus is still what you're looking for. The end goal is not marriage, it's Jesus. Last scripture I'm gonna talk about before we wrap up comes from Matthew 11, 28 through 30, and it says this. If you listen to anything tonight, listen to this. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. This is Jesus' words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm gonna read that again. This is Jesus in one of the only times where he talks about what he is like. So we should listen. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says he'll give us rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle 
and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is life, is light. Jesus is our gentle, lowly, burden-taking, rest-giving Savior who died on a cross to give you a new life. Marriage won't give us these things. Relationships won't give us these things. Nothing in this world will give us this, but Jesus will give us these things. So band, as the band comes on out, what do you need to do tonight? Marriage is a picture of the gospel. We're talking about the gospel. What do you need to do before you leave here tonight? What idols do you need to confess to a friend, to a staffer in the back? What sins do you need to give up? What steps of faith do you need to take to walk in intimacy with the Lord? What do you need to do? All of us have a response. I pray that you'd make it tonight, that you would respond to God. There's going to be light on, there's going to be light on in the back. Um, folks ready to pray and to talk with you about anything. doesn't matter what it's about. We love you. We're here for you. Let me pray. Lord, God, I'm just so grateful. So grateful for these students. So grateful for this time. God, um, pray that you would be glorified, that you would be exalted, that you and, the, and your institution of marriage would just be what it's meant to be as a representation, as a giant arrow pointing, pointing to the gospel, pointing to your love for your people, and that we would learn from it, whether we get married or whether we stay single, that you would be honored above all. Okay, Lord, pray that you would draw students to yourself tonight, and I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.